0: Well, it's my pleasure to dismiss the kids who are heading back to Children's Church, ages 3 to 5, 3 to kindergarten. Feel free to head back Enjoy join Miss Brenda as your teacher today. I'm sure you'll have a wonderful time with her. And as the kids head back, kids, just so you know, we pray for you every Sunday before you as you head on out. And before we pray, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Uh, this is the second to last week. We'll be in 1 Peter. Then on Christmas morning, we'll have a kind of a special Christmas, or Christmas Eve morning we'll have a Christmas-themed sermon. But these next two weeks, we're finishing up First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter 5, 1 through 5, this morning. I'm going to read all of verses 5, 1 through 5, but then we're going to stop for the sermon in the middle of verse 5, just as a heads up. But I'll read all five verses. In fact, I invite you, if you're able and willing, to stand with me as we read from God's Word. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Father, this morning we look to our great shepherd in this Christmas season, we look to our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and we're thankful that we have a shepherd in heaven, one who cares for, loves and guides and leads his church. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we would learn what it means um, to serve under that shepherd. Um, so challenge us, encourage us, comfort us, um, correct us, and minister to us by your word by your Spirit, to the praise of your Son, our Great Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Every once in a while, after a sermon on Sunday, somebody will accuse me of stepping on their toes a little bit. Uh, some of you may have felt this. You go, oh man, that passage, uh, what you said, it hit me right in the heart. Uh, Sometimes I've been accused of reading people's mail or anything like that. I don't have any special magic powers. That's just the Spirit speaking through His Word, convicting us. Uh, For those of you who have had your toes stepped on by a Sunday morning sermon, uh, you get to rejoice the shoes on the other foot today. Because this passage is all about elders and shepherds and what kind of shepherds ought to lead the church. And this is a convicting one for yours truly. We know when we celebrate in the Christmas season that Israel is looking for a good shepherd. The Christmas season is about anticipating the shepherd who would come, the one who would guide and lead Israel. We don't have time to look into it, but I encourage you in your own time, look at Ezekiel 34 a passage speaking against the shepherds, the rulers, the leaders of Israel, how they had abused the people of Israel. They had not fed the sheep. In fact, they had starved them and taken their food, and they had hurt the sheep of Israel. And God says, I'm going to send a shepherd who will lead my people, a shepherd in the line of David. And then God says, I myself am going to come and shepherd my people. And you wonder, well, which is it? Is it you or is it David's son? Is it God or a son of David who's going to come and shepherd the people of Israel? Of course, it's both in Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. God would send himself, his son, to shepherd his people. So Christmas is a time of anticipating the shepherd who would come. Of course, we live on the other side of Christmas. We live on the other side of Jesus Christ and his arrival and he is coming to shepherd and guide and lead his people of Israel. But we also know that in a sense, Jesus has departed, right? He has ascended into heaven after dying rising again. Jesus now, he has ascended and where is he? He resides at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And one day will come again, and we look forward to his return. So we live in a perpetual state of Christmas season, looking forward to anticipating the arrival of the great shepherd Jesus Christ and looking forward to his coming. We look forward to the return of Jesus the shepherd. First Peter is looking forward to that return as well. Last week... We saw hints of Peter looking forward to that day, the judgment that is to come. Uh, We live in the midst of suffering and pain now as God's people, and Peter is speaking to his people how to live through suffering, how to live through the trials of earth as we wait for the judge, Jesus Christ, to come. The church will go through hard times as we await our shepherd. And I think it's with that in mind that Peter now turns to Well, who's going to shepherd the church until the great shepherd comes? Knowing that judgment is coming, knowing that trials will be endured for the church, that God will test his people in the midst of all this chaos that we live in, who's going to shepherd his church until Jesus comes? And of course, in one sense, Jesus is still shepherding his church, still interceding, yet in a very real sense, he's absent physically, and who's going to lead the church underneath the great shepherd Jesus? the question that this passage answers it's where Peter turns his attention to the under shepherds as we walk through this passage I just want to put one question before you that I think this passage answers and that is how must the church be shepherded until Jesus appears how must the church be shepherded until Jesus appears until that day when he comes again as we look forward to that Return of our great shepherd, how must the church be shepherded until Jesus appears? We're going to answer that question in four sections as we work through this text, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. How must the church be shepherded until Jesus appears? First, in verses 1 and 2, we'll point your attention to the shepherd's charge. The shepherd's charge. Here, Peter gives his charge to the shepherds of God's church. will tell us what shepherds in the church must do. Verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I'll stop there. Here is a charge from Peter, and who is to receive it? Who is this charge given to? It is given to the elders. I exhort the elders among you. The Greek word is that, for that is presbyteros, from which we get presbyter. Translated elders. This brings up a question, when Peter's talking to elders, is he talking to older people? Or is he referring to a formal role in the office, a title of Elder well, throughout the New Testament, it seems pretty clear that elder was a formal office. It was a title. It was a role given. So you'll read in Acts that the apostles went about, and they appointed elders in every town. They appointed them. You, you don't appoint an age. You appoint a role, an office. Then Paul will tell Titus in, in Titus 1.5, he says, This is why I had you remain in Crete so you could put what remained into order and appoint elders. In every town, Paul instructed his, his man Titus to appoint elders. Then you read in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, there are qualifications for elders. You have to meet certain qualifications to be an elder. And those qualifications aren't just age, but they're character qualifications, the ability to teach, and so on. So it is pretty clear from the New Testament that this role of elder is a role, it's an office that was held, that was kind of formalized and put into place. That's who Peter is speaking to here. He's speaking to those who have that office. And I'll also say while I'm here that the role of elder is synonymous with pastor. That elders and pastors are the same thing in the New Testament. There are three words that are commonly used, elder, pastor, or overseer or bishop, and those three words and the Greek words behind them are used interchangeably in the New Testament to speak of the same person or the same role. In fact, look here at this text, 1 Peter 5. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you. So he's talking to elders. What did he tell them to do? Shepherd, which also means pastor. It's the same word. Elders, you are to pastor. Exercising oversight. And the root word for exercising oversight is overseer, which is also translated in other places bishop. Or or overseer. So here, right in 1 Peter, you have those three words that are used for pastor, elder, bishop, all used together, talking about the same people. So the point is, Elders are pastors, and pastors are elders. So you may ask, how many pastors does CBC have? Not just one. We have seven. Every elder is a pastor, which means that this charge, so I exhort the elders among you, goes to all of our pastors. Before we get into the charge, though, I want to talk about who's the one giving the charge. Who is it that gives this charge? You say, Peter. That's right. Have you ever had a boss who was out of touch with your work? Some of you have had this experience, right? You have a job, but you have a boss who has no earthly idea what you do, <laughs> has never had that role themselves, Doesn't know what you do, but they come in, they give you commands, and you say, "You have no idea what you're talking about. You've never done what I do." Peter's not that kind of boss here, right? Peter says, "I'm a fellow elder. I know your work." Elsewhere, Peter reminds people, "Hey, I'm an apostle," but here he specifically says, "I'm a fellow elder. I also am a pastor." In fact, Peter went to the best seminary. He studied under the best shepherd, Jesus Christ. Peter walked with Jesus. He is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He knows what it means to be a shepherd of the church because he walked with the best shepherd there ever was and ever will be. Let me ask you, as you read Peter say, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, do you think that word witness of Jesus' sufferings is kind of interesting? Recall how Peter carried himself through the sufferings of Christ. What did Peter do? The night of Jesus' arrest and trial as Jesus was suffering before the cross, what did Peter do? famously denied knowing Jesus 3 times I think Peter knows that and I don't think he's hiding from it I think Peter's letting us all know I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and I'm an imperfect witness I know what it's like to walk with the great shepherd I know what it's like to fail I know what it's like to fail Jesus. But I'm also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is confident that when Jesus comes back, he will be in glory with Jesus forever. Why is Peter confident in that? I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Because Peter may have failed... But what did Jesus do with Peter after his resurrection? On the beach, while they're eating, he restores Peter, doesn't he? After Peter's failure to witness to Christ's well, denying Jesus, Jesus comes to Peter, asks Peter three times, what does he ask him? Once for every denial, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response three times, yes, I love you, you know, Lord. And then what does Jesus tell Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Peter has all of that in his mind and his background. He knows what it's like to witness to Christ. He knows what it's like to fail Christ. He knows what it's like to be restored by Christ. And Peter himself was given this charge by Jesus. Feed my sheep and tend my lambs. And now Peter in turn gives it to the elders of the church and says, now you do the same. This is a charge that comes from the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, through Peter to the elders, shepherd the flock of God. I myself from Jesus have been called the shepherd. Now you elders, you do the same. What does it mean to be a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds sheep. So elders feed God's people with his word. A shepherd leads sheep to food. So elders lead God's people to spiritual health and to food. A shepherd watches over and protects sheep. So a true biblical shepherd will protect sheep from false teachers. From false teaching, from abusive wolves, which will do damage to the flock. That is the work of a shepherd and an elder. A shepherd also corrects sheep. So a true biblical elder and shepherd will correct sheep and keep them from danger and warn them to keep from sin and error. A shepherd goes after lost sheep. So a true biblical elder will reach out to sheep who have wandered away. And a shepherd knows and loves his sheep. So an elder will know and love the flock that is among them. That image of shepherd is rich. There's a reason God uses it so consistently throughout Scripture. There's a reason that's the charge of the elders to shepherd. The charge is not, elder, control your people. The charge is not, elder, rule over your people. The charge is not, elder, a mass a giant flock of people. The charge is simply, elder, be a shepherd. And anybody who has this title, this role, this responsibility of elder, this is your fundamental task, is to be a shepherd of the people of God, leading the sheep to health and safety. That's the shepherd's charge. Now, the shepherd is to do this in a certain way as we get to the shepherd's character in verses 2 and 3. The shepherd is to carry out this charge with the right ethic, the right character, the right disposition. Verses 2 and 3, the shepherd's character. Peter says, do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is to be the shepherd's character. I think what Peter's doing here is pointing out three common pitfalls of those who are shepherds, those who are elders. John Calvin said about this, said, in exhorting pastors to their duty, he points out three vices, especially which are often to be found namely, sloth, desire for gain, and lust for power. Three common pitfalls of the pastor. Not wanting to do the work and being lazy. Doing the work for the wrong reasons, for selfish reasons, for personal gain. Or doing the work abusively, domineering over those who are under you. Here Peter addresses those things, talking about the character of shepherds. And I'll just say this here now. This is a word specifically for pastors, for elders, but I think this applies also to anybody who's in leadership in whatever sphere that may be, whether you're a teacher, or CEO, if you're in leadership, these are good words for you. This is how, biblically, we lead people. First, you have to do the task willingly. Not under compulsion, not forced to do it, but it means that an elder uh, wants to do this work. Uh, the elder's not forced. Forced to do it, but there's something internally in the shepherd, in the elder, that is compelled to do it. Uh, There's a funny, I've told this story before, I think, but there's a funny person in church history by the name of Gregory of Nazianzus. He was one of the people responsible for kind of getting our doctrine of Christ right in the early ages. But Gregory of Nazianzus was a theologian, scholar. He was a pastor, but he didn't want to be a pastor. In fact, his goal, his real heart, was just to be a monk and get away from everybody. He wanted to live the monastic life. His dad was a priest, and his dad actually ordained him to ministry on Christmas Day. And here's how Gregory of Nazianzus records that calling. He says, it was an act, an arbitrary act of oppression, being named to the pastorate. By Easter, he fled and ran away to go and be in a monastic retreat in the desert. And he was called back, and he accused the church of t- tyrannizing over me and tearing me from my citadel solitude. Guy just loved to be a pastor, right? He actually fled later. Later, one of his buddies ordained him to a ministry elsewhere to be a pastor. He fled the town, and they called him back and said, Again, I weep and lament. He could have spent some time with 1 Peter 5. <laughs> Do this willingly. You should not have to drag somebody into leadership or drag a man into ministry. Uh, there should be some sense of godly ambition there. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, assuming it's a holy, right ambition that wants to do this. I once heard a hockey coach talk about his players and a little bit of aggression that he wanted his players. and He said, I'd rather have to declaw a tiger that paints stripes on a kitty cat a great phrase. What does it mean? I'd rather have to tone somebody down than try to light a fire in them. And I think there's something true about that in pastoral ministry as well. When you have young guys especially, boy, I'd rather have to tone somebody down than try and get them off the couch to do the work. This is actually one of the things I really Loved and appreciated about Sean LePage that he was candidating here. You could tell he was eager to be a pastor and eager to do the ministry, and he loved the church and wanted to be a part of it. Now, something, I think, for the search team that was really attractive, is this guy wants to be a part of us and wants to do this work. There has to be that there. And you have to want to do the work for the right reasons. So Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Up until our newest baby was born, Maggie was teaching 3rd to 5th grade Sunday school, and she really loves that. So those kids who were in her class, she loved doing that with you, loved teaching. One day, and I can't remember exactly the lesson, but it came out that I was actually compensated for my pastoral ministry. And the kids were indignant about this. What? He gets paid for that? And a lot of you, I think, probably agree why. Like, he gets compensated for that? He gets paid um, we're going to look into their parents' giving statements and see how they. But we'll, we'll check in all that. New Testament gives warrant. These are some of the. You know, some verses are hard to remember, others are not. And the ones that talk about pastors being paid for their work, I remember those. 1 Timothy 5 17, 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. You can go there. There's biblical justification for pastors to be compensated. But here. Peter is talking within that context. He knows that people might get compensated for ministry, so he warns against it. Do not do this for shameful gain. Do not do this for money. Don't minister to others for your own name, your own power, your own greed. I find it fascinating that just decades after Christ ascended, this was already an issue that Peter had to touch on. Don't do this for shameful gain. Do it eagerly. Anybody who's a pastor, anybody who's an elder, should want to do that kind of work, whether they are paid for it or not. Don't do this work for the wrong reasons. It's a problem in our culture, I think, especially in our Internet, social media age. I see a lot of pastors out there just trying to build a brand. doing a lot of work, spending a lot of time doing this for Jesus. And, yeah, but your name seems to be all over it. Peter says to elders, don't do this for shameful gain. God hasn't given you the whole Internet to pastor. He's given you a church, a flock. Shepherd them. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ Pastors should not use the bride for their own pleasure. Not for shameful gain, not for yourself. An elder's pastor has good examples. Not domineering over those under your charge, but being examples to the flock. pastor and elder has an authority that is given to them by Jesus, but they're not to use that authority in a domineering way. They're to use that authority in a pastoral, shepherding, guiding, leading, caring, loving way. And mostly, they're to live as an example. Paul says this to Timothy. I was reminded of Paul's words to his protege, Timothy. Timothy ministered under Paul. One of his charges to Timothy was, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The elder, the pastor, is to be an example to his people. And that is a frightening word, a sobering word for anybody in church leadership. But Peter's wise in giving it. He knows The temptation to domineer, to be forceful, to be harsh. And the problem is when a leader is forceful, harsh, abusive, not only does it hurt people, but that ethic is reproduced. And you reproduce harsh, domineering, unloving people. People will follow the example of their leaders. See this in the Old Testament all the time. Look through the book of Kings. A king turns into idolatry, and Israel follows. Happens over and over again. People will follow the example of their leaders. So, when we, from time to time, think about appointing an elder here at CBC, one of the questions you must ask, church, is, is that an example I would like to follow? Would I want my sons to grow up and be like him? Would I want my daughters to marry that kind of man? Is there example, one, worth following? Because it will be reproduced in the church no matter how skillful they are, no matter how charismatic, no matter how much they know the word, no matter how great their teaching ability, if they do not have an example worth following, if they are forceful, harsh, domineering, instead of loving, caring, leading, and guiding as a man of Christ, then avoid them. This is a word I would give to anybody looking for a church. And there may be some who are watching online even, wondering, maybe I'll attend that church someday. Or there may be a time where for some reason you love it here, but you have to move, and work calls you elsewhere, so you have to find a new church. So here's my counsel for you as you're looking for a church. Don't join a church for stupid reasons. And too often we look stupidly. That's me saying it harshly, as an elder probably shouldn't. But um, we often, the first things we look to are the compelling sermons. So the music lifts me up. They have programs that I can kind of get along with, and then they're well-run. Those aren't bad things. Those are things worth evaluating. But here's the most important thing. Here's the thing I would look at. Is their leadership healthy? Do they have leaders who are good examples that I would want my people to follow? Because that's what will be reproduced in the church. That will be reproduced in the people, in the flock. Is their healthy leadership good examples? Elders, this is your charge. Shepherd the flock. This is your character. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not greedily, but eagerly. Not domineering, but being examples. Is the task worth it? The work of pastoral ministry is not always easy. Oftentimes, it's great. Sometimes it is easy, and sometimes I look at the work that you guys have to do in your jobs, and I think, praise the Lord, that's not me. But there are times where it's hard, like any leadership position is hard. There are times where you're misunderstood. There are times where people think things and you wish you could correct it, but you can't. There are times you wish somebody knew the whole story, but they don't. There are times where you're maligned, you're going to be at once loved and hated. Very often it's just lonely to be a leader, And and that's true in any leadership position. But it can be especially true in pastoral ministry. It's not always easy. So is it worth it? I love, by the way, Jeremiah says about his own ministry. If you read Jeremiah 20, I think verses 7 through 11, he talks about... The Lord has deceived him into ministry, into being a prophet. He says, oh, Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. That's how Jeremiah thinks of his his prophetic ministry. You tricked me into this, God. I thought this was going to be great. Now I'm a laughingstock. So is it worth it for the leader? Is it worth it for the elder, the pastor? Well, as it turns out, yes, it very much is. Because look at what Peter says in verse 4. This is the shepherd's reward. The shepherd's reward stated in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Very quickly note the title of Jesus there chief shepherd and you could just as easily translate that as senior pastor that's why I don't love the title senior pastor and I don't i try not to take that just being persnickety there's one senior pastor of the church his name is Jesus and his seat is taken that role is occupied nobody else is up for it Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of the church, the chief shepherd, and the church belongs to him and nobody else. All other shepherds, all other elders, serve underneath him as under-shepherds. And the bride belongs to him. So we steward the church until he returns. And when he returns, then all elders who shepherd well, all pastors who do this work well, will receive a reward. Notice when this reward is given. At the end... The reward is later. The reward is heavenly. It's not earthly. Yeah, there are perks to the job along the way, but know that your great reward isn't in this life. It's in the next one. So keep a clear eye on that goal, and that will help you endure. Just like in school, why do you do all the work you're doing in school? Because you have a clear eye on graduation. Graduation and you're looking forward to that day when you'll get that diploma. So you do the work until then. And that's why you work all the days of your life, because so you, you have a clear eye on retirement and that beach or that golf course. And you say, I'm going to work until then, but that'll motivate me, or the goal of providing for your family or whatever it may be. Okay? You work with an eye towards, you know, I'm going to save up money because I have this goal of buying that house. The, the goal is what motivates you through the day. And here is the goal that motivates the elder, motivates the pastor. That goal is glory. Peter refers to it as a crown. And I think what Peter is saying is you will receive the unfading crown, which is glory. You talk about the unfading crown of glory. You could say, well, it's a glorious crown. No, I think that actually the way to interpret this is you will receive the unfading crown. A golden crown can be destroyed. A crown of leaves that was given to an athlete, that will fade away. But this crown doesn't fade away. This crown is glory. To put it simply, Peter's saying, heaven's your reward, buddy. You get heaven. And a life with Jesus Christ forever. It's the good news. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ on the cross, purchased your salvation eternally. You as a pastor, you as an elder, you minister the good news. You you communicate the good news to others. Here, Peter is ministering the good news to you. You pastor, you elder, and you church person. Jesus Christ has loved you and has died for you and has purchased your eternal salvation. So live for that day. No elder, no shepherd is perfect. Everyone will fail. All of us will live imperfectly. But here's the good news. Glory has been purchased for you by Jesus Christ on the cross. If that isn't enough of a reward... If you need something else, get out of the ministry. God loves you and sent His son to die for you, pastor. You need to hear the good news too. We've seen the shepherd's charge, shepherd's character, shepherd's reward. Now briefly, I just want to look at the first section of verse 5. So here, Peter talks about the shepherd's support. The shepherd's support. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And we'll stop there. We'll save the rest for next week. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, here's a question: who's Peter talking to? I'm not totally sure. Does he mean the younger elders? Like there's a range of elders and he's talking to the younger ones? I don't think so. It could be that Peter's talking to actually like a designated class of younger men in the church who are being raised up and trained up. There's a hint of this in Acts 5 where Ananias and Sapphira die and Peter says the young men at the door are coming to take you out. It almost seems like there's like a formal designation of young men who had, maybe they were like ushers and had usher duties in the church. I'm not sure. Probably, Peter's just referring to the younger people in the church. And why is he talking to the younger people specifically? Well, he's just been talking about elders, so there's kind of a correlation there. But also, the younger people are the most likely to fight. The younger people are the most likely to kind of be rambunctious, to, to be careless... To be rebellious, so Peter's gonna talk specifically to them and says, You who are younger, be subject. Which is another way of saying submit and follow. Just like Peter had talked to citizens submitting to the government, and servants being subject to masters and wives being subject to husbands. Now Peter says to the younger, be subject to the older, to your elders. And of course this doesn't mean you do anything that any elder says, no matter what. You follow only insofar as you're being obedient to Christ. If any shepherd or elder tells you to do something that is not obedient to Christ, you don't follow. We know that. This also doesn't mean that elders have unchecked authority and everybody's just supposed to follow them. We know in the New Testament that there was a process for bringing charges against elders and removing elders, 1 Timothy 5:17. following. So elders, shepherds, don't have unchecked authority in the church. The church is responsible for holding them accountable. This is saying, generally speaking, you who are younger, follow your leaders. It'll be healthier for the church, it'll be better for the church if you're not causing division, if you're following and obeying. I'm reminded of what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a scary word. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see what the author of Hebrews is saying? Follow your elders, follow your leaders. Do it with joy, not with groaning. It's not going to be of any benefit to you just to be begrudgingly, whiningly, complainingly following your elders. That'll help nobody. So, elders, shepherd well. Those who are younger, follow well. And if we do this, it'll be healthy for the church. If you're constantly fighting, constantly criticizing, constantly complaining, constantly refusing leadership, it'll all fall apart. So, what does this mean practically? Now here's where I get to have fun. How do you practically need to follow your elders? And I, as I thought about this, I thought I could turn this into a festive sermon real quickly. Uh, bring all my <laughs> grievances and so say, here's where you guys need to follow better. No, I'm not gonna, But I will say, generally speaking, that we're very careful about what we say, you must do this. I hope and I pray that we do that biblically and faithfully. And I don't think we often ask a whole lot. But when the elders say, hey, we want you to do something, The response ought to be, okay, we'll do it. So here's my wonderful opportunity to say, when the elders say we want you at the family gathering, come. You should hear that as a command. You've got 50 weeks out of the year to go do what you want with your family. We're asking for two, one in late February, one in late July, to come be part of us. And you say, well, the family gathering is boring. And I say, well, come make it interesting. That's right. (laughs) We want you to be involved. We want you to follow. Let's do this thing together. You say, well, what if I don't agree with the elders? Well, you have to think through that the elders are all agreed on something, say, I don't think I agree, then that's an opportunity for conversation. And we would love it if you come and talk to us. It's not an opportunity for you to go, ah, to do a whisper campaign through the rest of the church and see how many people I can get on my side. Because I think there's a legion of us. Now come and talk. What if you're convinced the elders are wrong and you know they're wrong? Well, then you have to make a decision. How big of a deal is that? It may mean that you're at a church and you decide the elders are dead wrong on this. And it's really important. So then you have to figure out how you're going to break. Right? And some of you have been through this. And I would say even then, do it humbly, quietly. I just can't think of any situation where it's good to gather an army of people and say, we're going to go to war and divide. if you need to leave and depart because you just don't agree with the leadership of the church, do it well. Do it humbly. State your case honestly. Talk as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if, like Paul and Barnabas, you have to go your own way, then you go your own way and you pray the Lord's blessing on the other. But the call for all of us either to lead or follow well, all of us under the great authority of our chief shepherd, Jesus. He's the only one who's doing this thing perfectly. The rest of us are trying to follow as faithfully as we can. So elders, shepherd and love the church. Those of you who are younger, follow well. And all of us, Live in obedience to Jesus Christ, our Chief Shepherd. You pray with me. Father the church is a really special and glorious and, and really sacred thing it's your holy people it is a daunting uh, can, challenging difficult task to, to shepherd and, and care well and uh, none of us do this perfectly and we fail often so we need your grace and your mercy to lead well to lead Eagerly, willingly, as an example, um, we need your spirit to do that, so we pray that you would give it to us. Lord, I'll say personally I'm thankful for the elders of this church who shepherd me well, who hold me accountable, who encourage me, who speak uh, when speech is needed. I pray you would raise up more. Lord, I pray for those who are in leadership positions inside and outside the church, in whatever sphere they may be, Lord, help them to be, uh, to shepherd like Jesus shepherds, as a light and a witness, to lead well, for those who are under their charge. And for all of us, Lord, to follow well, to be holy and submissive, with integrity in a way that honors you most of all. And Lord, we all look forward to the day when your son Jesus returns and brings glory with him. We look forward to the new creation. We look forward to heaven. In the spirit of Christmas, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.